you could do it behind me. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. Okay, this is, this is we're going to do something different today. Um, who knows, we're about to enter a series of four talks which we're calling Relationships. Uh, here's the thing, um, oh, let's pray it in first, let's pray it in, let's pray it in. Jesus. Lord, I want to thank you for every brilliant person here this morning. Lord, each of us with our background, history, the journey we're on, but each with a great future. Thank you that your plans for us are good. Lord, I pray as we enter this series of relationships, Lord God, that we could get on your page, press into the way you want us to do life so that we would flourish. Because we know doing life your way is the best place to be. So we submit ourselves to you, Lord God, saying we're not right about everything, but we're open to you speaking to us. And all God's people said, come on, touch two people and say, this is going to be good. This is a, it's a bit of a unique one today. We're going to have a look at marriage. Um, I've done a lot of preparation around this kind of stuff, but who knows, I've got half an hour. And you can't cover very much about marriage in half an hour. Who knows marriage is a big old topic. So what I want to do really is just to touch two or three areas um, so that we can have a firm foundation, so that we can have a good idea about how we feel about stuff. Because there's not one way to lead your marriage. There's lots of ways to lead your marriage, but there are some foundational truths. And when you build on the foundational truths, you build on solid foundation because you want your marriage to go high. Uh, who, who knows that, you know, when we do it God's way, we win every time. But the reality is there's wrestles in all of that. And uh, I want to be someone who leads a church who has great understanding, where we communicate well together. None of us has got it perfect. Can we start there? No one, apart from me and says, no, no one has got it perfect. And that's okay, because we're imperfect people. And who knows, when you put two imperfect people in a house together, it doesn't suddenly become perfect. It actually probably becomes less perfect. I don't like this idea of, oh, you know, I'm an imperfect person, you're an imperfect. When, we get, when you get to, you make me whole. You have to, no, she doesn't. No, he doesn't. It's two imperfect people coming together to wrestle it through. But you can become whole on the journey, but it, it means commitment to each other. So that's got to be our starting point. We want to have the happiest place for marriage. Uh, so what I want you to do, because I'm not, you know, I can't, I could speak, but I'd always be speaking from a male perspective, from a husband's perspective. Who knows? We need to hear a woman's perspective. You know, you know what? Men, we were rubbish. Who needs a male perspective? <laughs> I think we'll just give that one to the women. Can you stand to your feet, please, and give some honour to the first lady of our house and my wife, Pastor Sarah Roberts. You can grab your seats, you can grab your seats. My title today is An Epic Marriage. Who believes we could and should be having an epic marriage? Today we're here to fight, to wrestle, to talk, to... I want to stir you up to think. I haven't got all the answers, but I've got a lot of good questions and I want to encourage you to go away and say, what does that look like for me? Maybe you're someone today who is married and actually want your marriage to go to another level. Maybe you're someone who's not married, who hopes to be married one day, and you could learn some of this stuff now and put it in place. Maybe you're someone who's not going to be married or, or happy single. Well, it's good to know some stuff so you can help some people who are married. This is a message for everyone, not just the marriage. Are, are you hearing me? Come on, touch the person next to you and say, it's definitely for you. It's definitely for you. 
We live in a place today, I think, where it's quite difficult to have conviction. There's so many opinions about everything. And if we're not careful, we have a conviction about something and then we don't share our conviction because we're scared to upset everyone. But how about church? It's time we had some conviction about God's word. We can at least have conviction about that and build on that and get strong on that. And then when we build our marriage relationships on that, we win. But here's the reality. 51% of marriages are failing right now. More than half of marriages are failing. This is the time we live in. Wouldn't it be great if the church got around God's word, if married people learned to talk to each other, if men learned to talk to each other, if women learned to talk to each other, if we learned to communicate better and wrestle it through together so that the church becomes part of the solution. Not looking at a world goal, isn't it sad? How about have some compassion and say, come on, we could sort ourselves out. We could step in and help some other people sort themselves out. Because the starting point for at least most marriages is they love each other. So they had a starting point. What happened in the mix of it all? And it does happen, unfortunately. I just want to put a caveat here that if you're here from a broken marriage, there is no condemnation in this room. You know, things happen and we get it. Life happens. Bad choices happen. Stuff happens. We get it. But we serve the God of love. We serve the God of acceptance. We serve the God of forgiveness. And we serve the God who redeems. You know, I want to believe with you that your life is going to flourish, whatever that might look like for you. But I want you to feel comfortable in this marriage talk environment. If you're sitting here from a broken marriage, that's okay. We love you and we want to cheer you on. Is there agreement in the room? Come on. Yeah. Here's another great statistic for you. Not based on a Christian. This is based on Harvard University's uh, research. 1%, 1%, touch the person next to you and say 1%. 1% of marriages fail, 1%, when both couples share faith, both couples attend a church, and they pray together. 1%. See, when God's in the middle, you're part of a church and you pray together, 1% fail. 51% of marriages are failing, but when God's in the middle of it, actively, 1%. Doesn't that just say something? That's not Christian research. That's world research. So clue number one, married couples. Get Jesus in the middle, come to church and pray. Gives you a great chance. All the wives are looking at the husbands now going, yeah, told you, told you, told you. We need each other to win. You know, we need to start celebrating the success, looking for a great future, and not dwelling on the present and the past where it's been difficult. Come on, we've got a future, haven't we? Married couples, we've got a future. We need each other to talk about it, to wrestle it through it, to grow and have some success. And there's some great marriages in this church. And so one of the things I did a couple of weeks ago is I sent a few messages out to people in our church and said, would you be prepared to show on screen the picture of your wedding day? Some of them are brilliant. Uh, can we have let's, have, let's have a look at these, shall we? Who's this going to come up first? That's me and Sarah. We'll be was, married 20. 20... <laughs> Sarah was actually 18 when we got married. I'm 10 years older than Sarah. Didn't I do well? And, uh... The whole crowd went, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in, in, in our wedding ceremony at the church, the vicar who we'd only just met called me a cradle snatcher. Thanks. All my football mates were like, wow. But I tell you what, 20 years later, 
Who else we got? Who else we got? Oh, Daniel and Sarah. Come on. How long is it? Is it 21 years for you guys? 21 years. Look at that. They don't look a day older. Don't look different. <laughs> Dan still, still wears that buttonhole for work. <laughs> Who else we got? Oh, Nick and Stella. Choose no. Nick and Stella. Look at that hat. Go on the hat. That is winning. That is winning. Very, very good. Who else? Oh, Andy and Emily. Last year. Last year. You know, they get, how comes when they're old ones we laugh and when they're new ones we're like, ah. Oh. Andy and Emily, who else we got? Oh, look at this. James Gom. James Gom. There he is in the traditional. There he is in the Japanese. James, James has stayed away from church today. I'm not quite sure why. But um, those of you who aren't familiar with... Oh, wait a second. Those of you who aren't familiar with James, he's the guy who generally sits here with no hair. Loving the Japanese stuff. And so last week we had Memori on stage leading worship. You might have seen that's his daughter who's now 15. Japanese mum, English, English um, dad. Just brilliant family, just a brilliant family. Let's be praying for them. And lastly, I believe, this is my dad and mum. How long now? How long have you been married? 52 years. Come on, that deserves a round of applause. Mum didn't realise she married Buddy Holly. But, uh, Austin Bowers. Very good, very good. Come on, a round of applause for all our married couples in the building. Very, very good, very, very good. You know, isn't it good to see couples who've been married a long, long time and are winning? You know, I believe they're blazing a trail to say, come on, this is possible. In, in a world where marriages are failing, come on, the church's marriage needs to win. So that's why we need to talk about it. And again, I can't cover everything today, but I'm just going to make a few pointers. Um, there's not much in God's word about the details of marriage. It doesn't give you, you know, who should do what, who, you know, all this. It doesn't really go into masses of detail, but it does lead us some principles. God's plan for marriage is right at the beginning in Genesis 2. Let's read it together. Genesis 2 and verses 20 through 25. So um, God's made all the animals and Adam is naming them. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a, a helper comparable to him. He didn't really fancy the elephant. The old cheetah was a bit clawy. Yeah, the old parrot's a bit pecky. So he's like, no, no, no. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called a woe man. Because she was taken out of a man. <laughs> Never grows old. Therefore, um, now here, come on, here's where, here is where it happens. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Turn to the person next to you and say they were not ashamed. So this is God's plan for marriage. A man and a woman leave their homes. They come together and they become one flesh. 
and they're not ashamed. It's interesting because obviously the Becoming the One Flesh talks about the sexual union, of course, but it's also, we are one unit now. We've left two units and we're coming to make our own single unit. We will share a house, we will build a home, we will do a life together. It's two places coming to one place. We all understand that concept, don't we? So the first thing that happens, having been married, is you leave home. All the parents in the room say, yeah, get you, get lost. <laughs> Pay for long enough. You leave home. Now what happens is on wedding day, you walk up the aisle with a boyfriend and a girlfriend, you share your vows into a covenant relationship and you walk back down the aisle with a husband and a wife. It, something changes in that moment. But here's then what happens. You don't just marry the person, you marry their model. Whether you like it or not, you have been modelled something. If Sarah was 18 years old, which we appreciate is quite young for someone to get married, although you're going to talk about that later, that means for 18 years, Sarah's modelled something. I was 29 when we got married, so for 29 years, I was modelled something. And it gets in you. What you're around all the time gets in you. So as we come together, we bring, Sarah brings her model, and I bring my model, and we create our own model. So when you... When you're just boyfriend and girlfriend, you can go on the dates and hugs and kisses and buy each other stuff and late night phone calls. But it changes when you get married because you're now forming one unit all of the time. But you don't see all of the baggage previously, but you definitely see it in the marriage. Do you see what's happening? And this so often is where difficulty begins. See, God teaches us and guides us and redeems us and gives us hope and a future. So your history doesn't have to impact your future, but you do have to wrestle through. The great thing is, the biggest factor in a marriage is unity. So the idea is, yes, you've got your stuff, and yes, I've got my stuff, but when we come together in unity with the power of God, that doesn't have to be our end. We walk forward together. Do you see? But the reality is, when you start, it's there. You have a model, and it's there. So we need to talk. We do a three-session marriage preparation course in our church, gone through lots of different, with lots of different couples here. And one of the things we say time and again, communication, communication, communication. Married couples, talk, talk, and talk some more. And now I'm going to stop talking and let Sarah talk about her model. Makes a change, doesn't it? Brilliant. I just love that idea about the whole model because I think of this like a show home. So, you know, if you're going to go and buy a new house and therefore, you know, they're building it new and you get that opportunity to go to a show home. Anyone else love doing that? I do that even if I'm not buying a new house. I just love going and looking at all the beautiful decor and the things like that. So when you go and look at a show home, okay, that's not the house that you're buying, but obviously you can see where you're going to put stuff. So, oh, yeah, you know, the sofa would look good there. That's how the kitchen might be. I might change the worktop slightly, but it would give you an idea. And so whether you realise it or not, that's what you're doing within your model of marriage. What you see and what you experience um, as a younger person through your life is going to be what you assume is going to happen in your marriage when you leave your mother and father and then you go into marriage. So whatever childhood you had, what, how you were brought up, the games that you played or that you didn't, the food that you ate, the conversations you had where you lived, 
what your parents did, all of that becomes your show home for what you take into your marriage. And um, it's really important that you think about those things because it might not happen right in the very beginning, but, you know, 15, 20 years later, you might suddenly start to see habits and things that you developed, which you think, where did they come from? And actually, often they come from your model um, marriage from where you were brought up. So just a little bit of background and just to show you what God can do in terms of our differences in our model. So um, my, my stepdad's not here today, is he? So my stepdad's often here at church, and um, he's an amazing man, absolutely amazing. But when I was younger, um, I come from a broken home, so my parents split up when I was about 11. Um, yeah, it was a really tough, tough childhood. Um, you know, the, the model I had was very different to, to say what Barry's was. Um, it was quite separate. So mum and dad always were quite separate. Socialising, I never, I can't really remember mum and dad socialising together. So it was always quite very individual. Um, and, you know, I can say this quite openly. You know, I feel like my mum was probably quite selfish. Um, I can say that now looking back. Um, but, yeah, I think that she definitely had her own interests at heart a lot of the time. And so myself and my sister were often kind of swept aside. And even though I showed great potential in talent like singing and dancing and things like that, I was always attending things by myself. Um, Dad struggled to show emotion. So hugging and saying that I love you was, you know, difficult for him I think he'd never had it himself so it was hard for him to see that they both worked really really hard I remember my mum going out to all sorts of jobs you know one time I remember working at Trebor's the sweet factory that was an absolute bonus to come home to a couple of bags of sweets every day um, yes they both worked really hard but I just there was separation there wasn't much affection it, they were very separate in their social worlds um, and then they, they broke up and it was a very, very messy breakup when we were about 10 and 11 and I've got horrible memories of things like that as well. So yeah, that was kind of my model um, and although I didn't realise that's what I brought into our marriage. Very good. Um, my model was very, very different. Um, I had amazing parents who communicated well. Uh, so both my parents worked full time uh, Mum generally ran the house, did the cooking, Dad travelled quite a bit. But they became um, taxi because me and both my brothers played football at high levels and I think at one point I was playing for Ipswich and Daniel was playing for Charlton and Michael was playing for Norwich, each playing there two or three times a week and Mum and Dad would be so committed to us that they must have, you don't realise it at the time, do you, when you're children, but gave up everything that was important to them to make sure we were important and that's become my model and so... When you see this confident man running around the stage being hilarious, <laughs> that, that confidence was put in me when I didn't even realise it was happening because of, the model, because of the model I was given at home. Church was important in our family. Uh, we attended Combe Valley Church here in Colchester, though we lived in Chelmsford. And uh, we travel up for two Sunday services every week. Uh, prayer was important, serving in church was important, giving to church was important. And you don't realise it as a kid, but that's my model. And so it's no surprise that that's one of the things that I bring into our relationships. So in terms of you look at what Sarah and I leaving our family homes and our models and coming together, can you see we had stuff to work through? And you just think, oh, they're so lovely, they love each other. Do you know what? That's not enough. 
You have to work through some stuff. You know, it, one of the things I want to ask you, if you're someone considering getting married, I want to ask you why. Why do you want to get married? Because too many people, I believe, are getting married because they fancy each other. All oh, the chemistry. When we kiss, there's a sparkle. Well, great. But in 20 years' time, that's not going to get you through. I promise you that much. And so, yes, of course, you know, let's not pretend that's not important. The chemistry and the physical attraction, of course, is important. You don't want to marry someone you can't stand the sight of. I get that. But don't let that be the overriding feature of why you're getting married. Do you see? And it's important. And I wonder... Just throwing a question out, 51% of marriages failing. Is it because they got married right from the beginning at the wrong, for the wrong reasons? And no one was there to ask the right questions. Can we, church, ask the right questions? Because we want to set people up to win, don't we? Amen? Amen. So, so that, you know, what do you bring to the table? You know, Sarah and I had to wrestle through some stuff. And I love this idea of they were naked and unashamed. There needs to be vulnerability in a marriage. You know, this is who I am. I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not to you. Because of all the people on the planet, if I can't be who I am with you, who can I be who I am with? You need that in your marriage. And so we can come together and say, do you know what, this was my experience and this was my experience, and have a discussion, talk, talk, talk. What's our model going to look like? What parts of your model are actually really helpful and what parts of my model are really helpful? And if we're going to sit and talk and pray this through, what do we want it to look like? And you have to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. You know, you have to be intentional about your marriage. So what are you bringing to the table? Now, we've already discussed that Sarah got married young, which is quite unusual. And some people might say that's not a great idea. But I've asked Sarah that she might speak into that a little bit. Yeah, it's hilarious. Uh, That reaction, you know, I was married at 18, that comes everywhere. No matter who I'm talking to or where I'm saying, you were married at 18. (gasps) You know, so nowadays that is such an upside down concept to get married so young. And that's because we've become so independent and, you know, we're so self-sufficient um, that it's like we don't need to get married um, because, you know, we, we've got it all together. But, you know, I just want to put a different spin on that because I think it actually was helpful for us. Because being so young, and 18 is very young, I do understand that, 18 is very young, I hadn't built that independence which is so hard to let go of when you come into a marriage where actually sometimes you have to give in to some of the things that, you know, you really want to do. I hadn't got my own money. Barry's like, amen, he knows that. (laughs) You know, I hadn't got, I hadn't built this huge career where I was earning loads of money. I didn't even own my own car. I didn't have a favourite place to eat in a restaurant. You know, I hadn't built this independence that we often do at, say, 30 or, you know, slightly later than that when you've had more experience of an adult to build the things in your life that you want. So I actually think that being married so young was actually a real blessing to us because, you know, and I'll show a bit later, that I'm actually a really strong leader and I've got really, you know, great ideas and very confident So I think if I'd have been left to my own devices probably another 10 or 20 years, I think I would have found it really difficult to then come together and kind of meet in the middle somewhere. So for me, getting married at 18 was definitely God's plan and was definitely the right thing. And it meant that I hadn't built those independences, which people then often find it difficult to let go. Very very good. Very good. It's interesting because, you know, you, you wrestle through life and... I am, and I think it's probably on our family, we're quite intense people. And we know God's 
put us here for mission and we're going to do it. And that you have to be intense. You can't be wishy-washing, you know, build a church and change lives and change the world if you're just going to go, oh, we're all about this. But sometimes I need Sarah to go, chill your beans. Yeah. She's so good when I come home. Like, oh, you know, and she's like, yeah, all right, but chill out. And she brings that to my life, which is just so, so helpful because you can't live in that place all of the time. It just gets frustrating. So, you know, I'm trying to say, I'm, you know, I had a great model, but I'm not perfect and I'm still not perfect. But I'm, I'm a work in progress, but we work together. And that's what's absolutely key here. One of the things I, I encourage any married couple who are about to be married, but also I want to say to you, at least yearly, married couples, at least yearly, you need to discuss what's the mission of your marriage. Where are we going? What does this year look like? What are our hopes? There needs to be questions like, you know, do we both work? Do we buy a home? Do we have children? How many children? What are our expected roles? Am I fulfilling the role you hoped I would? Do I need to shift a bit? You need to have these conversations because it won't just happen. And what happens, you don't talk. And husband's getting a bit disappointed with the wife he desperately loves because she's not doing what he hoped. And wife's getting disappointed with the husband who she desperately loves because he's not doing what she hoped. And they're not talking about it. So you need to set aside time to fight for your marriage and sit there and go, how am I doing? I'm going to be naked and unashamed and vulnerable. I know I'm not perfect. I'm willing to work. What could I do? How brave is that, men? To sit with your wife and say, where could I improve? Because we all think we're a bit perfect, don't we? But can I tell you some truth? You're not. (laughs) But we need to work together. You know, do we serve in a church? How do we spend our money? Do we give money to people and things? Do we have a holiday? These are things that don't just happen. You need to decide what does the marriage look like because then what happens, everything you do filters through the mission. We start saying, well, we wanted to have a holiday, so we're not going to spend that extra tenner. We're going to put that in a pot, and we agree because it's taken us where we want to go. Do you see? But that only happens when you talk, 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 talk. These kind of questions are what create this opportunity to be happy And in the end, my mission for my marriage won't be the same as your mission, but you need to decide this is what happiness looks like for us. And it doesn't say all these things biblically, but you can see how true they are. So will you commit to doing that, married couples in the room? And you people who aren't yet married and hope to be, make notes, make this your mission statement. You want a great marriage? Let's do this. Okay, let's have a look at another Bible verse, Ephesians 5, uh, 22 to 25. It says this, Wives, remember, our starting point here is we're going to do it God's way. God's the author. God's the creator. God made me and you. God instigated marriage. This is what God says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So here's this little package right here, which I appreciate in today's thinking isn't popular. But here's the thing, when you unpack it, it's really quite amazing. Because we look at, what's the word we all honed in on there? Submit. Isn't that the word you're all thinking? Oh, submit. We used to say that in wedding vows. Don't hear that anymore. It's like we've we've stepped away from something. But the, dif- the difficulty is we forget the next bit. Wives submit to your husbands. Husbands love your wives. How? Like Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He died for it. How easy, women, 
is it to submit to someone who's prepared to lay down their life for you? And when I talk about laying life down, it's not jumping in front of a bus to declare your love. (laughs) This is like, I've got an agenda. I entered my marriage with an agenda. Of course I did. This is where I wanted to go. But you know what, Sarah? You're so important to me. What's your agenda? And you know what? That's more important to me now. I'm prepared to lay down because Christ died for me. So I'm prepared to die to everything I wanted to lift you up. And so what happens now is you form this great picture, which is what I believe God always wanted. The husband who loves his wife so much, he's prepared to lay everything down for her. And the order to pick her up, you are the most important person in my whole world. Let's make it about you. How easy is it to submit to that kind of love? And then the wife looks at that and says, wow, hang on a minute. I really love you. I don't want it to all be about me. I hear your heart. That's amazing. But what I want to do is actually lift you up. Because you're so important to me. And so you find this picture of a husband and wife both lifting the other one up. See, it's not about me and my selfishness. It's not about Sarah and her selfishness. It's about both of us laying down to lift the other one up. And and you can submit to that. That was always God's plan. But I appreciate when you read the words, it's like, ooh. But can you see how God intended it? I want to say to you, submission is not weakness. Uh, Sarah's going to speak into that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I just think that word submission is just is totally t- taken out of concept. And it, it, it definitely isn't something that's passive. Submission is definitely not something that just means you sit there, you take your hands off and you say, oh, whatever you want. That's not what submission is. Um, it's definitely something that's intentional and you have to choose it. You definitely have to choose it as a wife. For me, you know, like I said, I feel like I'm a very strong leader. And, you know, even though I said right from the beginning about my upbringing and the experience I had, you know, when God has placed a um, stamp on you right from the beginning, it doesn't matter what you do or where you come from, he will fulfill that in your life. And I feel like that's what happened to me. So I have memories of being like eight years old and um, my dad had an alcohol problem, so we were off often left in a pub you know while he was drinking we had to kind of make our own games up and I I would gather the children who were kind of in the toilets or whatever and I would create a party you know like I would get find streamers and games and things like that and even from very early on in dance groups and things like that I was always the lead and so I had real leadership on my life so for me you know I'm someone who has good ideas like my ideas are good, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, they yeah are. I'm good. I, I have really good ideas, you know. And I can create great ideas very quickly. I have great vision. I have great faith. And, you know, I'm very confident. Again, amazingly, out of coming from something that was so very, very broken, I have this confidence that comes from God, which I feel amazed at sometimes even now. You know, um, I've got a great career. Um, I've carved myself a a great career, you know, where I have big, big influence. Um, So, yeah, it's all very, very exciting. And to kind of be this woman who has, who feels powerful and feels independent, but yet understands what it's like to um, have submission. And I think submission for me is comes from that verse in Ephesians 5 where that the husband is called to be the head of the house which basically means is that he is called to lead and submission to me says, I trust your leadership. 
That's what submission looks like. I trust your leadership. The minute I take away his ability to lead our house by continually coming up with all the ideas, telling him everything that he's doing wrong, every time I do that, I take away the call of God on his life to lead our home. So for me, that's what submission looks like. Do you know, it's not difficult for me to submit to somebody who makes you feel loved. It's very hard to submit when you don't feel very loved. So because Barry's created this home, this platform for me to be able to feel like he loves me, I know that he never puts his desire in the way of what's best for us. And I know that we've built that trust over the time. So yeah, for me to be able to say, I trust I trust your leadership, even if I think I've got a better idea, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's great to just allow him to lead because I'm submitted. And that way, one of the things that men want to feel the most is respected. Men want to feel respected. So he, uh, he feels respected when I allow him to lead and say that I trust him that way. Such a good point because God created us differently, you know, and, and women more than anything want to feel loved. And men, more than anything, want to feel respected. So women, whenever you tear your man down with words, you are ripping the respect out of him. You will lose the person you're supposed to be. Let your words build him up. Women, can I speak to you women, if you're married or intend to be married, the biggest thing you can do is praise your husband. You will get the best version of him. Now, even if he's being an absolute numpty. Do you know what? Just say, come on, well, you're better than this. Phrase your wording so that you're building him up. And men, come on. Men in general aren't very expressive with love, are we? That's in general. You know, love you. Come on, give your wife a hug. Give her a kiss. Tell her she's beautiful. Because then she feels love. You'll get a better wife and you'll get a better husband. All through talking. Come on, words can tear down or build up. And in your home, you just want to be building up and building up and building up. Too many couples are living in a place where they're talking each other down. One of the things I've always said about Daniel and Sarah, my brother and sister on the front row, they've been married 21 years. I have never once, never in 21 years heard them talk each other down, ever. Never once. How good is that to know that Daniel could go off to outer Mongolia for six weeks knowing that Sarah wouldn't talk him down? How many of us can say that? How many of you are in friendship groups where the boyfriend's getting talked down, the girlfriend's getting talked down? That's no platform to build a relationship. Come on, it's got to stop. So let's be the church to become part of the solution. Encourage people. Don't talk. If you love them, don't talk about them like that. Let's build them up. We've got that, we've got that clout in us, haven't we? Come to three people and say, that's for you. I want to just touch on this whole idea of um, headship. In that same passage there, it talked about submission. But then he talked about headship. Now, a little prop for you. Just in case it starts raining in here. <laughs> There's a hole in the roof. Does anyone watch uh, The Greatest Answer program on TV? Yeah, last night was props night, so I thought I'd give it a little bit of a raindrops kifana. No, um, don't. Don't, don't. When it talks about the husband being the head, it's really talking about the husband being a covering. So as Sarah and I, do you want to stand forward? As Sarah and I walk out our married life, we walk out together. Now, God has deemed it, not my idea. God, the author of marriage, has deemed it that the husband is the head of the wife. I'm not trying to get above my station. I'm not trying to be something I'm not called to be. God set this up. And we've already agreed that doing life God's way is the best way. So when we walk together, who's covered? Both of us. If I pull away and do my own thing... Who's covered? 
If Sarah pulls away and does her own thing, who's covered? So who's left exposed? Mum. Mum. So, Mum. It's a little thing of ours. No, it's not. It's not. It's not. So isn't. Take that off the old podcast. Can you see the picture, though? You see, when I, when I lead the house well and Sarah feels loved, we get unity. The Bible says in Psalm 133, where there is unity, God commands a blessing. So we have to fight to stay together. There will be people and situations that come against you and try to rip you apart. But when you get home, what do you do? You talk. Someone said this about you today. Let's talk about it. This happened to me today. I'm feeling really rubbish. Let's talk about it because we stay together. And when we stay together, we're covered. Men, can I speak to the men as a man? Sometimes it gets tough. Is there an amen from the men? Do you know what? It's supposed to. Do you know why? Because whatever is going to hit your marriage is going to hit you first. Because you're the covering. Come on, that's good. Yeah. That means men, we've got to be strong. Yeah. Come on, there's too many men falling over all the time. But here's the tough thing. Men walk out in life with a stiff upper lip saying, I'm okay when they're not okay. We need to talk more. The whole idea of men's suicide today and men's mental health today is horrendous. But church, we need to be part of the solution. And you know what men need to do? Talk. I'm, I've had this, this is going on in my life. This is happening at work. This is what's beating me up. I'm, I feel like I'm failing. Let's talk about it. Because we can also talk and then pray. And when you talk and pray, 1% of marriages fail. Not 51% of marriages. Yeah. We've got a men's breakfast coming up on the 22nd. Men, you need to be there. Yeah, for the sake of everything you're fighting for, we've got to get together and talk yeah. and pray and cheer each other on. Because when we do that, we have a covering. Amen. Come on, Amen. Where, are the, where are the warriors, men? Yeah. Come on. Can you see how God's way is just the best way? But it means we have to be intentional. It doesn't just happen. And don't think you're going to walk out and it all change overnight. It's going to take a journey. But when you agree as husband and wife to go on the journey and stick to it, you will get there. You will get there. So that you one day will be able to stand in front of people and go, do you know what? My marriage was once here, but now it's here. And we're not finished yet, but we're better than we used to be. Because God was in the middle of it. Is there an amen in the house? we'll just do the bit about we had some other things to say but we're already two minutes for those of you who don't know we have a clock at the back and we're two minutes over Uh, I I was going to touch on issues and the issues that face a marriage and any situation fall into three categories money sex and power every issue you face you will find its root in one of those or more than one of those issues but you need to talk we need to be talking you know, what does your sex life look like? How do we spend our money? Who earns the money? Who's in authority? Do you want to give some authority somewhere? It always revolves around these three things. So talk. We haven't got time to go into it tonight. But I do just want to talk about some of the positive aspects. Um, do you want to talk about what we're going to say at the end about positivity and hope? Yeah, just a few little practical tips in terms of some of the things that we've put in place to make sure that our marriage stays Um, in that place of protection, in that place of unity. So just a couple of little practical 
tips. We've already mentioned, obviously, prayer is really important. If you want God in the middle of it, you actually do have to pray, you know, and that's one of the hardest things to do as a married couple, which seems stupid because you live in the same house and you sleep in the same bed and yet to pray together is really hard. So if you need to, actually schedule it in, you know, put yourself in a reminder, right, five minutes, ten minutes, every single day we're going to pray together. So that's a really great practical um, point. Uh, don't focus on the things that you haven't got or don't focus on the things that he is not. Um, actually, you know, just this this year, it was Barry's birthday uh, a couple of weeks ago and I actually wrote him a little love letter because, you know, we're emotional and this is what we do. Um, and I actually just thanked God for everything that he is. I just made a list, just made a list of all the great, wonderful things that he is. I enjoyed reading both of them. <laughs> Actually, it was double-sided. But that's not to say... That's not to say that he's perfect and that he's got it all right and that he's got it all together because he hasn't. But if I focus on the things that he's not or the things that he's missing, then that caused that feeling in my heart that I'm missing out and that I deserve better and he should be better at this and he's not up to scratch at where I think he should be. So focus on the good things and if you need to write a list, write a list because uh, that really, really helps. Um... Yeah, don't talk each other down. We talked about that already. When it comes to parenting, it's a whole nother ball game. Um, we have a rule in our house that we never, ever disagree um, on one or the other's um, rule kind of, you know, whatever decision, yet yeah, in front of the kids. So if they've done something or they've said something and one of us then, you know, says, well, actually, no, you're not doing that or yes, you should be doing this, but we actually disagree. We never say it in front of the kids because the first thing they'll see is disunity. So wait until that quiet time and then come away and talk about it then. Um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, very good. One of the things, you know, in Genesis 1, before the Genesis 2 marriage bit, God says, go forth and multiply. So one of the things in marriage, the hope is that we bear fruit, we have children. And when you look at, you know, we call this an epic marriage, one of the epic things about marriage is creating a home for children to flourish. And it's just been such a privilege as husband and wife to see our children flourish. And because of our role in this church being the senior leaders, you've watched our children grow right in front of you. And, and what's been really amazing is that you can all see and we can see and are proud that our children are confident, our children are brave, they're talented, they're full of faith, they pray, they take the mickey out of me like what's happening right now. <laughs> but all jokes aside, it's just one of the epic things that we're experiencing in our marriage to see our children growing up to young adults and they're going to change the world. And the reason that can happen is because we have intentionally created an epic home with an epic marriage where we can make mistakes and still love each other where we build each other up and we pull the best out of each other. And God in the middle of that just causes life to be better. Is there an amen? amen. Can I pray for you? Should we stand up together? Yeah. Do you want to pray instead of me? Or as well as? Let me just invite you just to close your eyes and let's take a moment. If there's anyone who would like to speak or get some prayer, we've got a prayer point over the left hand, your, your right hand side over there. Go and hang out and we'll talk. But I think we're going to create some environments for married couples to talk to each other. Maybe in a midweek at some point, so look out for that. But we need to talk. Father, just thank you for everyone here. 
Lord, where people's marriages have either broken or are in a difficult moment, Lord, I speak health and wholeness and healing and hope. Thank you that you love us. Lord, for couples that are fully on the page together, I just speak more of that. Rain in the rainy season. Take us to a new level. Just thank you for the privilege of being men and women and being different. But thank you when we do it your way, both succeed. Everyone wins. It brings happiness and life. So I pray that everything we've said and spoken of today, that people would settle in their hearts, would go and wrestle and chat. Not just let it be a nice moment, but let it be a life-changing moment. Yes, Father, I just pray for the women in the room, Lord God. I pray for the wives. I pray for the wives that are going to be. I pray for the girlfriends, the fiancés right now, Father. And I just pray right now over this area of submission, Lord God. Father, I pray, Father, that those that are standing here right now who are going to say to me, I can't do that. I can't do that. He always gets it wrong. I can't do that. I don't trust. Lord, I pray right now, Father God, that we make the first move. Come on. Father God, we make the first move, Lord God, just like you did on us, Lord God. We make the first move, Lord God, and trust, Lord God. And Father, I just pray right now, Father, for anybody standing here today that's holding on to any baggage, Lord God, from their past. Father God, I pray right now, Lord God, that they could just literally take it out right now and just drop it at your feet, Jesus. Father, I pray that there would be no effect, Lord God, or long-term issues, Father God, that relate to our past, Father God, that Jesus, that you would give us that model, Lord God, to look at, Lord God, to aspire to, Father. But Lord, I pray just in this moment, Lord God, of softness, Father, and that you're here, Lord, you just want us to hand over to you, Father God, anything that comes from brokenness from the past. Lord, that you would set us free, Father God, to be able to walk into the best marriage that you have for us, Father God. So I pray that today in Jesus' name. Thank you. And Lord, I just want to pray for every single person here who hopes to be married one day. Aim high. Don't settle. Know who you are. Work on God's standards, not the world's standards. Be wise. Take counsel. But I declare hope to your future in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Shall we go out on some praise?